Well, hello, everyone. Good day to you. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Today, we are landing the plane on our table in the Wilderness Series, where we've been following along with the Israelites as they've been wandering around in the desert. They are stuck in limbo. They're in between their release from slavery in Egypt, but before they made it home, before they were able to enter into the land that God had promised to them. And that gap time is hard. That desert, that wilderness was a hard season. And as we've tracked through this series, we've seen it wear on the Israelites. We've seen it wear on Moses. And the two things that seem to keep happening over and over again is first this sort of amnesia, this forgetting of all the things that God had done for them, ways that God had taken care of them, ways that God had provided for them, was present to them and with them. There's first this amnesia that then leads to this repeated pattern of questioning God's character, of questioning if God had brought them out into the desert just to die or brought them up to the promised land just to die. Like when we struggle to see God in our present circumstances, those kind of questions get harder to ignore. And what we see time and time again is the Israelites struggle with perspective. That in this season of wandering, this season of in-between, that it became easy to lose sight of God and to live in a distorted picture of reality, one where God couldn't be trusted, one where Egypt and slavery, an empire that had literally ordered the murder of every Israelite baby boy, where Egypt started to seem like the promised land. We heard that explicitly in number 16, our passage from last week, in a confrontation with Moses, two Israelites say this in Numbers 16, verse 13. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Language that was used to describe the land God had promised to them, but now is being used to describe Egypt. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? See, there's this distorted picture of reality. God does not have their best interest at heart. God cannot be trusted and therefore slavery and oppression at the hands of a brutal empire was a better option than a life dependent on God. There's a distorted picture of reality, which then causes the Israelites to take control, to take things into their own hands that they should not have. Moses is taking too long on Mount Sinai, so let's build an idol to worship. The promised land looks scary, so let's not go in. We don't like being in the wilderness, so let's pick a new leader and go back to Egypt. The Israelites struggle with perspective. They lose sight of God. And it warps their perception of reality, which leads them away from all the goodness that God had prepared for them. And we've talked over and over in this series about how God uses wilderness for a purpose, about how the intent of this time was to reveal himself to the Israelites so that they could know God's character and God's nature, to live in close relationship with God, and so they could accurately reflect God's heart, God's character, what it means to be God's people into the world around them. But we see the nation of Israel constantly struggle with perspective. 
See, the work God can do in us in wilderness seasons can get short-circuited if we lose our perspective. Where we look, where we turn to, where we fix our eyes when things get hard is so important. When I was much younger, like high school age, I was a mountain bike racer. I lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and if you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, there's no mountains in Dallas, then you are a keen observer of the human condition and regional geography. We compensated, though, for our lack of mountains by winding the trails through these ridiculously narrow gaps between trees, and so a big part of learning to ride was learning how to not hit the trees. And the way to do that sounded so counterintuitive at first. You had to not Look at the trees. But I didn't want to hit them. And so I wanted to look at them to know where they were so I could be sure to avoid them. And it took me a couple of bloody shoulders and some hard wrecks to start to understand that the best way to avoid the tree is to actually focus on the trail. That on a bike, more often than not, where you look is where you go. And it's like that's the constant thing God is trying to get the Israelites to do while they're in the wilderness, to learn to look to him, to look to God's visible presence with them over the tabernacle as cloud by day and fire by night, to look to God's provision for them through manna and quail to eat, to not get overwhelmed, to not get discouraged, to not look at the size of their enemies or the strength of their cities, but to look to the God who parted the sea for them to walk through. It's like the whole time God is saying, look to me, don't lose your perspective. In the Israelites wanderings, there's this constant invitation from God to look up and to learn to look to him. And we're going to see that fleshed out in a unique way in Numbers 21 today. This is a short set of verses and kind of an obscure story, but one that's actually really important to what God is doing in the world through the overarching narrative of the scriptures. And there's an incredible reminder for us through them. If you've got a copy of the scriptures nearby, go ahead and open to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9 today, but to start, the few verses leading up to this section give us some really important context for what we're going to read. Numbers 21, 1 through 3 tells us that a Canaanite king learned that the Israelites were traveling nearby, and that king attacked them and took some of them captive. And then the Israelites make a deal. They make a deal with God. They say, if you deliver these people into our hands, we will deliver them to you. We'll do what you told us to do. We'll wipe them out. Well, God responds. God answers them and delivers the Canaanites into their hands. The very people that were too strong and that the Israelites were too afraid of to step into the promised land. God responds and answers his people, showed up for them. And then we hit verse 4. They, being the Israelites, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. And here we go again. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. 
the weariness of the wilderness is causing them to forget the fact that God just delivered an opponent more powerful than they were into their hands for the rescue of their people who were captured. It's causing them to forget that, let alone everything else reflected in the last 20 chapters and numbers and in the book of Exodus. Here's that amnesia again. It's causing them to lose their perspective. And what happens next is so powerful. God gives them over to snakes. The same creature that in Genesis 3 told Adam and Eve that God could not be trusted, that God was trying to hold them back, that God did not have their best interest at heart, and that they could choose for themselves, that they could define what was right and wrong, what was good or evil, that they could play God themselves. God gives them over to snakes. Let's look at verses 6 through 9. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, isn't it just like God to work this way? To provide a miraculous option, an answer to the justifiably earned consequence, but to still give the Israelites the capacity to choose to choose to look up, to choose to look to him. Look, it's a powerful image. This might be the most vivid example from the wilderness wanderings of God saying, if you want to find healing, if you want to find life, then look here. And here's where we hook into the broader narrative of the scriptures. It's an image so powerful that Jesus uses it in a conversation with a man named Nicodemus to help him understand what was going to happen through his life. Jesus says this in John 3, verses 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. If you want to live... Look here. As Jesus wasn't lifted up through prestige or position. Jesus wasn't exalted on a throne, but through his sacrifice was lifted up on a cross so that anyone who would look to him could find life, could find healing, could find redemption, could find restoration. God's miraculous option to the justifiably earned consequences of our collective choices of not loving God with our whole self and not loving our neighbor with our whole self through the things that we have done, through the things that we have left undone, God's miraculous option for our justifiably earned consequences was to enter into human history for Jesus to give himself over, to be lifted up in humiliation and shame and ridicule on the cross so that all who look there might find life. And look, not just the forgiveness of sin, 
But when we connect to Jesus, when we keep our eyes fixed on him, there's this life that explodes within us. This vision for the world as God intended it to be, this love that creates the context for courage to step into the life that God created us to live, one that reflects God's nature, God's character, God's love into the world around us. Like in John 15, Jesus describes himself as the true vine, the source for the branches of our lives to be connected to in order to thrive and to flourish. He describes himself as living water from a well that will never run dry in John chapter four, freedom for the prisoner and the oppressed, sight for the blind, good news for the poor in Luke chapter four, solid rock in the midst of sinking sand in Matthew seven, the way, the truth, the life in John 14. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is where are we looking in a world and in a year that's felt like so much wilderness, where are we looking for life and hope? What are we fixing our eyes on? Look, and if we can learn anything from the Israelites, it's that the weariness of the wilderness can cause us to lose our perspective, to lose sight of God's presence with us to lose sight of God's faithfulness and provision, to lose sight of God's strength and power that God is at work in the world, slowly but surely making all things new. See, we can start to develop that same sort of amnesia that the Israelites had. Again, when we do that, when that happens, our eyes start to focus on the other things. For the Israelites, it tended to be just the really practical things that day after day just started to grate on them. They got tired of the food. They got tired of living in the desert. They got tired of listening to Moses and Aaron tell them what to do. The day-to-day realities of their situation just wore on them. Look, what are the day-to-day realities of this season that wear on you? We all have them. Whether it's trying to work from home the uncertainty of the future, trying to navigate a constantly changing school system, let alone assessing and reassessing and re-reassessing what's safe and what's responsible and what's practical to do, how to try to see people and combat some of the isolation and Zoom fatigue so many of us feel right now. Like maybe it's just the increased angst that's in the air right now. The day-to-day aspects of life just wore on the Israelites. And they became really focused on their challenges. What was hard? What was wrong? What didn't match their expectations? And we saw this really play out with the spy mission into the promised land in Numbers 14. They focused on the challenges instead of on God's faithfulness. And all of a sudden, those problems seem so big and like they couldn't be overcome. Like where we look, where we turn to, where we fix our eyes when things get hard is so important. It shapes where we go. And God uses wilderness for a purpose. And right now we've got such an opportunity for God to teach us where to look 
to remind us that true, lasting hope comes when we fix our eyes on him. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let us run with perseverance this race marked out for us. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus in this season? I want to just quickly share three really practical things that can help us with that. These are things I'm trying to lean into in my own life right now. The first is cultivating a practice of gratitude. This was something actually that came to mind during our Arrow Prayer series earlier this summer. This idea of learning to pause in the moments where we recognize God's goodness, whether it's a sunset or an answered prayer or a hug from a loved one or a good meal, learning to pause and say thank you, to acknowledge God as the giver of all good things. Look, gratitude fights that amnesia. It keeps God's goodness in the front of our minds. So what could it look like for you to cultivate gratitude this season? Our family ministry team has created some really cool resources for families to use this month. I'd encourage you to check those out. And for me, I'm a list person. When I wake up and sit down to plan my day, the first thing in my daily planner is a space to write out what I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's a good night's sleep. Sometimes it's a conversation from the day before. Sometimes it's just the wind in the trees, but it helps me fix my eyes in the right direction. It keeps God's goodness in the front of my mind. One way to fix our eyes on Jesus in this season is to cultivate the practice of gratitude. Another really practical thing is to pay attention to how you start and end your day. I heard someone ask the question a few years back, what's the first thing that you reach for in the morning and the last thing you put down before you go to sleep? And for me, that answer was my phone. I was starting my day on email and catching up on news or social media, and I was ending my day on email and catching up on news or on social media, and I didn't realize how much of my attention those things held. There's something about those first and last moments of the day that have a disproportionate impact on us. How are we using those moments? And what is that leading us to focus on? I've started trying to begin my day before I even get out of bed with a simple prayer. Asking God to help me be faithful to the things that he's placed before me for the day and to help me love well. And I try to end my day with a simple prayer of release, asking God to help me lay all the things from the day, (laughs) things that went well and those that didn't, help me lay all those things down and trust him with them. I'm talking about cultivating gratitude and paying attention to how we start and end our days. And the last thing is to pay attention to what's happening inside of you. And to start to be able to see and notice some cause and effect relationships. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, when we fit, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, though outwardly we may be wasting away, even if things don't change. Inwardly, there's this daily renewal that sure sounds a lot like that well of living water that never runs dry. What's happening inside of you? The way that we answer that question can become like a barometer, can help us know where it is that we're looking for life, help us know where it is that we're looking for hope. Look, wilderness seasons are full of struggle. They can be lonely. They can be exhausting. It can be so easy to lose our perspective. But God uses wilderness for a purpose to help us know his character and his nature so that we can reflect his goodness into the world around us. And to find life in the wilderness, to find life that doesn't just fill us, that doesn't just form us, but that overflows from us to the world around us, we have to look up. To find life, we have to look up. And God gives us the choice. Will we choose to see the challenges that we face and the brokenness of our world? Will we choose to see the things that wear on us, the things that seem too big to fix? Will we see those things through the life of Jesus, through the shadow of the cross, and through the glory of the empty tomb? Our hope is not in an election. It's not in a form of government. It's not in a vaccine. It's not in an end to this season that we're in. It is in the God who loved the world so much that he chose to enter into our wilderness. John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally pitched his tent with us, tabernacled with us, was present with us, just like with the Israelites, only this time not in cloud by day or fire by night, but in the person of Jesus. Our hope is not in a God who is distant and disembodied from the human experience, but one who knows it, one who's walked it. And for the next two months, we'll be spending our time looking at the life of Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, who was no stranger to anything we might face. I hope you'll join us. Would you pray with me? God, our simple prayer in this moment is that you would help us lift our eyes to you. We all come into these spaces uh, from different experiences. God, I pray that no matter what we're experiencing today, uh, the hopes, the fears, the concerns, the worries, the pain, the struggle that we experience, that we're attuned to other people around us experiencing, God, in those moments, would you help us lift our eyes to you? Would we seek your kingdom? Would you help us see your goodness? Would you help us see your presence with us? 
Would you lead us to a life that shapes us, that forms us, and that overflows to the world around us? Would you help us fix our eyes on you? Would you help us find our hope in you? We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Amen.